I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Today, I'm joined by Maya McClendon. She is a mental health and sustainability advocate based in Louisville, Kentucky. She was a highly decorated volleyball player at Arizona State University and the University of Louisville. In college, she studied pre-medicine and psychology and graduated in 2017 before working at the University of Louisville Hospital and shadowing various specialties within the medical field. In January 2019, Maya founded the Sports Metaphor and participated in speaking engagements for the Pac-12, the Green Sports Alliance, as well as various youth programs about holistic health and wellness related to sports. Most recently in 2021, she founded the Time Out app, a digital health and wellness platform for athletes and sports organizations. Welcome, Maya. So happy to have you here. I'm so excited to chat with you and and to be here. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's going to be a treat, I know. Um, So let's just start off with, you know, you identify as a mental health advocate. Like, what does that mean to you? Absolutely. That means I have uh, just enough degrees to know what I'm talking about, but not (laughs) enough degrees to treat anyone. Legally, that's um, hilarious. No, no, I love it. No, I mean, being an advocate, it, it takes many shapes um, and forms. I think you know the way that I define it is someone who pushes the conversation forward, um, not afraid to someone who's not afraid to be vulnerable and and really put their personal experiences, um, you know, out there to inspire others and and create real change. So that's that's what I'm trying to do every day. I appreciate it. I know you're not just trying. I know you are doing that. Um, You and I have chatted before and there was a significant time moment in your life that dictated this path for you. Would you mind sharing that with those who are listening? Yeah. I mean, you know, in hindsight, there are multiple Mm. times in my life that have really gotten me to this place. Um, You know, the, the earliest memory, um, in terms of mental health is really, um, my dad, right. My, my dad was a very, very talented basketball player at the university of Cincinnati. And, um, I mean, he's in the hall of fame there. And as I went through my experience, um, just stories from my mother and and family members about how this man was iconic, but I mean, it just drained him of everything, right. You know, his, his entire, uh, you know, academic career, being in engineering, and then being a highly decorated player as well. 
um, just how difficult that was and him just being open about, hey, it's not for everyone and it really, you know, get, get yours out of it. Um, but, you know, a little bit more personally, um, you know, it, when I was a junior, I had a suicide attempt as, um, uh, you know, as a volleyball player. And it took me a long time to really open up about it. I was the captain of my team and uh, I, I had been a starter for two to three years and um, it just all came crashing down and it was a really hard time for me. Um, and I, I, I had to really apply everything that I possibly could to get myself out of that um, and change my environment and change my path. Um, so, you know, I, I, to be completely honest, I dissociated from that experience for a long time until I lost my, my friend to suicide. I, I played volleyball with her from a really young age, um, USA volleyball. Um, and then, you know, playing against her when she was at Florida state and then connecting with her through, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the USA volleyball track. Um, it was really shocking to find out about her death. Um, just because, you know, she was a, a fellow strong black woman, uh, that I looked up to from a really young age to feel comfortable about who I was and really being different within the sports, uh, uh, within, you know, a predominantly white sport. Um, and just really expecting to push through everything, um, until it's just like you hit that breaking point. So that was a wake up call. Um, I looked back and was like, you know, I, oh my God, I, I was there and maybe if I had been more open to my people, we could have figured this thing out together. Right. Or we could have bonded over our traumas or whatever. So, um, you know, at that point I decided enough was enough. I, I, if I'm not going to figure this out, you know, who will, um, and I know a lot of people are working on it, but I just, I felt a calling I couldn't walk away from. Maya, thank you so much for being authentic, vulnerable, um, and sharing your personal story, your family story, your story with your teammate. I think, you know, it, it's underestimated the courage that that takes to get back in touch with that. And I totally get the experience of dissociating. So like for those people who don't know, like putting a painful experience to the side, because it's really too much psychologically to even bear or process. So for you to go through that, talk about it now is just, you know, really a gift. And, and thank you so much for just being you in that way. Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't take much energy. It just takes the courage part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. And getting more and more comfortable from di different stories that we have as humans. We're, we're multidimensional and have a lot um, of diversity in the way that we have shown up to our lives. And sometimes there are some that we're, we kind of like more than others, but like for you again, to step forward is, is a big deal. Um, yeah. What was yeah. it, what, like, what do you think did help you mm -hmm. move from that space? Yeah. I mean, to be completely honest with you, it, it's, it's the strong people around me who are also vulnerable. Um, you know, it, it, it starts really one-on-one -on -one in my experience where 
you just kind of ask at the right time, you know, Hey, tell me what's really going on. Or, you know, maybe share your experience, uh, creating a safe space where it's centered around getting into deep places. Um, and then just kind of following that I've been able to find a community of people who, um, just do it anyways. Right. Like I, I think, um, I can't remember it, it. Maybe it's Mel Robbins. She talks about the countdown of like, okay, just count down and do it like five, four, three, two, one. Okay. I'm just going to get up or five, four, three, two, one. I'm just going to tell my story and do it. Um, and, and just being in those spaces where you feel comfortable to do that. So I, I give a lot of credit to, um, you know, the individuals who are in this space who are also innovating and pushing forward those conversations, creating spaces for people to talk about it. Um, and then my teammates, the people who have gone uh, even further and are a part of this mission every day to also share why they're doing it. Um, because there is a lot of hurt in, in our experience and not a lot of opportunities to really get it out, unfortunately, in a, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. I mean, you're talking about one of the pillars of mental health, which is your social well-being. And yep. our social yep. well-being comes from our people, our, mm-hmm. our tribe, mm-hmm. our chosen family, our family, like however you define it, because um, we can't be alone in this. Um, you know, I'm reflecting back to my own sort of traumas in different ways, but like the the loss of my athletic identity as a young mm-hmm. woman going into college and not being able to express myself with my sport, which is soccer and not knowing then how to express my body and like do that in a helpful mm-hmm. way and, and yeah. really engaging in risky behaviors um, to try to find who I am and try to mm-hmm. try to relate to my own body in a healthy way and ask mm-hmm. other people to relate to it in a healthy way. Um, is, is, you know, I dissociated from that too, because it's too painful. Um, and it's almost like, you know, something comes into your life for me. It was my daughter who like inspired me to, to actually have the bravery and courage to go look at that again and do some healing there. Um, just by being her, um, it's just, it's amazing how that stuff can happen. Um, Mm -hmm. I know too, after my, my second child, I had, um, postpartum panic attacks, Mm. Mm-hmm. which is real. I think people talk about postpartum depression. That's more common, quote unquote, having panic or anxiety is not as common. I remember my, so my eight-year-old was in her room and then my son has been home for two days and I just get up in the middle of the night and like in this extreme panic. And I like mm-hmm. have to run, I run out of the room and straight out the door in the middle of the street. And I'm just like looking around, like what the heck? I come yeah. back in, wake up my husband. I'm like, I'm going to die like this. We're all going to die. Like, I can't breathe, like take care of the baby, you know? And like, what the heck? Um, yeah. It's scary. It's real and scary. And so again, to, to, for you to be you and inspire spaces like this one right now for people to share their stories while sharing your own is just, is, is, I mean, I can't say how valuable that is. I just can't Thank say. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it has to start somewhere and short storytelling is the first step truly, you know, that's something that like, you don't need any degree to tell your story and to be open and vulnerable and people can learn from it. Um, they can take what they deem valuable and try it. Um, and I think that peer to peer support is really important. Um, even if it is through a podcast or, 
whatever avenue people can get to just listen and to feel heard, I think is what we're really, really, really missing, especially those athletes who are not in the major sports or not, you know, it starters, it, where's mm. their, where's their, you know, the attention to their mental health. And one thing that, you know, really stuck out to me while I was in it versus as soon as I was done was the feeling of competition, even like within your sport, but even beyond like the other women's sports or, you know, there's just so much competitive culture, um, different universities. Like we, there just, there wasn't then a communication or community because there is such a competitive culture and it was really hard to open up and find others to relate to. Um, and when you're done, I mean, you kind of get just kind of dropped. So you kind of claw at whatever you can or, or gravitate to, to, you know, the spaces that you feel safe. So uh, that's something that definitely needs to improve and, and things that I'm, I'm hoping to influence. Yes. Thank you. I mean, on that note, what, what, what kind of support can coaches give? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm to their players, like you said, simply asking how you're doing. Um, what, what, what kind of support can we give coaches to be, to feel confident in asking those questions and then feeling confident about how to, um, deal with the answer or like meet the, the need of the answer. Um, and not just the athlete, but like in a situation where one athlete might be struggling and it affects the whole team. Yeah. Like what thoughts do you have about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I can speak on that from, from a few different perspectives. Um, I do have some coaches that uh, mentored me that I stay connected with and then coaches that were beta testing with and getting feedback from. Um, I think it's a really unique time to be a coach, especially a coach who's a little bit older and, and isn't as aware of the generational personality differences of, of, Gen Z to younger. Um, and I think it always has to start with education and taking care of themselves first um, before they can offer any type of support. Um, I know a lot of coaches are feeling like they're just not prepared and they're not trained to be able to be, um, you know, that confidant or that person to offer any type of advice because, you know, it could be a legal risk or it could be, you know, it could risk their position or, um, really they, they, most coaches feel like they might, they may make it worse if they're not prepared. Um, so I think the first thing they can do is really going above and beyond to ask the mental health directors, um, whoever's in charge of, um, you know, the, the, um, in a health ecosystem, what resources are available for them, one, to take care of their own mental health, and then two, to increase their emotional intelligence um, in terms of how to directly impact and teach and coach those younger generations. Um, it really has to start there. And, and it, I think just like any other position, it needs to be a practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and figure out what other trainings they can offer. Um, but I think the second thing, and um, the um, former uh, gymnastics coach from UCLA and the men's volleyball coach from UCLA, they spoke at the Student Athlete Mental Health Conference in 2020, right before COVID, and I had a chance to go. And they said the first, the, the, the best thing you could do as, as a coach um, is to listen. And 
some people don't know what listening means, right? Like you can hear someone and you can listen to someone, but those are two different things. Mm -hmm. And what she said was you can't spell listen without silent. And I think it's really easy to want to talk, right. Or like give advice or pretend like, you know, but you really just need to shut up and just like truly absorb everything that your athletes are telling you and not react and not pass judgment. Um, just kind of sit on it for a minute um, and really hear your athletes when they're telling you something in order to move on um, and figure out the best line of approach. Um, and starting with with the leaders to the walk-ons, right? Everyone needs to have the same space to, to be able to give their feedback. No, those are very valuable tips and insights. Um, and, I, and, you know, I think, like you said, education, support, you know, we can only, coaches can only give of what they receive. So if their cup is empty, they're not able to pour into anyone else. So I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. And I never heard that one. You can't listen without silent. That's a good one. Um, yeah. <laughs> right there. So, and again, I think there's that they try to maybe listen and then maybe do without having the support to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that coaches need to know they're not clinicians, nor are we asking them to be. Um, right. But again, the education I work with um, Cutler Wellness Program, she's an um, Betsy Cutler heads up like um, coach education, mental health education and athlete mental health education. So that's that's really awesome. And then Ath Mindset can provide clinical um, support to um, coaches as well as the athletes and the teams. Um, I know that you, you you have ventured out as an entrepreneur and have, have are doing some great things with sports metaphor and timeout, please tell me and everyone listening about those two endeavors. Absolutely. So timeout, I, you know, was, a, a, is a company that I started when I was 24, maybe Oh wow! Uh, just kind of trying to understand um, how to support athletes with innovative technology um, in terms of holistic health and wellness. And um, you know, it's it's really um, an umbrella company for a bunch of ideas that I have, um, and ideas that I see are floating around that are created by athletes, um, and eventually, you know, to to start those endeavors. Um, but the the main thing that really came out of Sports Metaphor was timeout, um, which I officially incorporated last year. Um, and that's uh, in terms of holistic wellness, it it, it covers mental health and wellness. And uh, what originally started out with just uh, a mental health for athletes uh, has now expanded into an entire digital health platform um, that connects athletes, um, not just to uh, licensed sports providers, but um, in-person and virtual on-demand resources. Um, It's more than just one app, it's actually two mobile applications. One is meant to be used by the athletes and the other is meant to be used by any licensed provider that is within that sports ecosystem. And those two apps communicate to each other in real time. Um, It's really important um, for us as a team. We're a team of a dozen or so athletes, uh, former athletes, current professional Olympic and and professional athletes um, that we're HIPAA and FERPA compliant and we are putting athletes in the center of the care model, you know, they can decide what information they want to share, um, whether it's their coaches, um, but also letting them know that any red flag 
that is brought up in the software, um, their licensed provider under HIPAA can reach out to them for help, can provide those resources, and they have um, you know, those emergency SOS tools under the timeout button when they need to take a timeout. So that's a general overview of what we're doing. Um, we have an incredible team of writers and we're working with an animator to create our own psychoeducational tools, um, you know, topics that are relevant to athletes. Um, I'm a huge research nerd. So I have like five years worth of research um, related to athlete mental health and the tools and education, but our goal is to translate it and uh, ironically, but not so ironically, um, create sports metaphors so that athletes get it and they can actually apply it to their own life. No, that's great. That's great. If there was a athlete or a licensed professional or a university who wanted to learn more about timeout or start to use it, what would that process be like? Absolutely. So we are right in the middle of beta testing and doing focus groups for our services and our application. And that will be happening all summer. Um, uh, in terms of our rollout right now, our main customer base um, are universities, right? So we're selling directly to universities and there's not really um, an individual app that people can download right now. But if people wanted to learn more, they can go to our website, which is the timeoutapp.com and uh, sign up for beta testing or reach out directly to us. Um, and we'd be more than happy to explain what we're working on. Um, if individuals wanted to be a part of our team, um, you know, we're always looking for athletes or non-athletes who want to really follow um, and, and contribute to our mission. Um, but yeah, our goal next year is to fully full force launch to as many schools as possible, um, but giving ourselves the time uh, right now to just focus on research and making sure we're creating the best possible tool for everyone. Yeah, no, that's exciting. That's exciting. I always love hearing about it and hearing you talk about yeah. it. So I really, really appreciate it. I mean, I am so excited. It's, it's just, it's <laughs> incredible work and it's going to be an incredible just value to the whole, you know, athlete, athlete ecosystem, like you mentioned. Um, you had mentioned, you know, like your teammate or friend who, who died by suicide and that she was a black woman you looked up to, you were a black woman. Like, what does it mean to be a black woman in the mental health tech and sports spaces right now? Yeah, um, I wish I knew more of us. <laughs> I haven't met any, um, or, you know, I've, I've met, no, I haven't met any. Um, I would love to meet more. Um, I think, you know, when you really think about it, um, I, I see numbers in my head, right? I think about, um, the statistics, the NCAA goal study that they publish about, you know, 35% of Black female student athletes reported having, um, you know, debilitating depression in the past 30 days. Like that's the highest ratio out of any demographic. And um, while mental health does not discriminate, it, it affects us all. Um, the type of technology that is really being innovated, like AI and um, algorithms, you know, we have to keep in mind, um, you know, the groups that are at higher risks um, and are often left out of the research, um, right? You know, I think it, it has to be a conscious effort and 
for me, I mean, it's, it's second nature. Like I'm, I'm always thinking about my community when you're recruiting for participants, um, you know, looking at um, making sure that there's a mindfulness around an uh, equitable uh, demographics um, and as well as the research that's already been published, right. Um, taking into consideration, um, you know, the, the, those participants and the demographics of those participants, um, because there are so many factors and variables that you have to consider, um, about, um, you know, uh, social determinants, determinants of health, um, specific environmental risk factors, bias, um, and, and that all goes into the, the tools that we create every day. So um, what it means is I feel like I'm representing so many people who haven't had a voice and don't have access to the tools that they need um, and making it a, an absolute priority and integrating it into research as well. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, you won't be alone for long, I hope, but that's what trailblazers are. Hey, I will recruit anyone who wants to be on our team as well. I mean, we have uh, Deja McClendon, who's my sister, um, working in player engagement, and then um, Nadia Fingal, who's a professional basketball player. She played at Stanford, also a woman of color working for our team. So I would say there's three of us that I know of. (laughs) Good. Good. Yeah, and you guys are making an impact, you know, with your own app, your own brand, like this is something you're creating. So that's inspiring. And just something that like young black girls can look up to and say like, Hey, they're doing it. Maybe I can one day. I think there's a, there's a racial and political historical, um, tendency. Is that the right word position that black Americans have had to deal with being researched, quote unquote, and that there is negative outcome to that. They're either lied to or not told the full story about what is going on. When you address your research and want the representation of Black women, Black people, how how do you address that piece? Um, Maybe it helps that it's a Black woman asking for that versus the white you know, more oppressive dominant society. I don't know what, how, how have you addressed that? Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that I would say is a positive is in the past year to two years, there has been an increase in funding for initiatives that look at the BIPOC community. Um, So, you know, even looking at where that funding is available, to be able to make sure that our research team does reflect that representation, uh-huh. uh, the qualifications behind, um, you know, uh, researchers who focus focus specifically on, um, you know, the, the BIPOC community, um, women and gender uh, uh, bias within sports, uh, having that holistic research team to give their input and to be involved in all levels of you know, the quantitative and qualitative studies um, and processes within the research. So um, that's what we're, we've built within our team. Um, we have, um, you know, been able to outsource to uh, those researchers who have published and say, hey, we're doing this specific 
um, project that specifically highlights BIPOC, um, the BIPOC community, um, and there's funding available to be able to support you, which I think has to be that 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 full you know support um, to be able to influence progress in this field. Right? It it, it cannot be for free. We you know we need to be uh -huh. supported. Our researchers need to continue to be supported uh -huh. um, and give them the respect that they deserve. Um, so that's that's what I would say. And um, you know, thinking about one of the the grants that we've applied for through the NIMH, which is the Small Business and Innovation and Research Grant. Um, it, I think focusing on research and development for sure, um, but there's an opportunity to highlight, um, you know, additional findings um, and really create a space to, to include that in the final, um, you know, publication um, as an aside, right, you know, to look at what the, the opportunities for further research studies can be um, that relate to um, you know, women and minorities. Awesome, I appreciate it. For those who don't know, what does BIPOC mean? It means Black and Indigenous people of color. Okay, thank you, thank you. I know sometimes I write that and people read it and they're like, biopic. I was like, no, <laughs> we need to know what it is. Mm -hmm. And that spaces um, that that say they are, you know, for BIPOC people prioritize um, BIPOC representation and ideas and thoughts. So I think that's important to highlight. Um, when when you think about now how you take care of your own mental health, what are the ways that that you like to do that? I, I love this question and I hate this question. <laughs> um, you know, I I need to sip my water real quick. Um, <laughs> and she just did, people. You can't see her, but she just did. Okay. <laughs> my um, alkaline water. Um, you know, I, what people don't realize is first and foremost, mental health and wellness is like this umbrella of a term um, that a lot of people don't associate with psychological illnesses, right? Like psychological disorders and, and the whole field of psych, they, they seem to forget um, or not delve into what falls under that specific umbrella. And I've struggled with depression for a long time um, and more recently, you know, anxiety. And um, I can do a ton of things to maintain my self-care routine and my mental wellness, but really addressing the things that I need for that illness is way different than, you know, my self-care and my wellness. Like I associate those two things differently, which is not like clinically based at all, but that's how I compartmentalize. Managing my depression um, requires, you know, a, a mindset shift on taking my medication that I know really helps me and being informed with my doctors about how I can, um, you know, maintain that regimen, right? Like I don't want to become dependent. So how do I need to supplement that behaviorally and really address that? But when it comes to like my mental health, um, which, you know, some people associate that with, um, you know, uh, working out, um, making sure that, um, I, 
you know, talk to my support system and, and really lean on my support system to be able to, to tell me when I'm really veering from that wellness stage to illness <laughs> and having that, um, you know, that emotional intelligence, um, whether it's like, uh, you know, regulating my emotions and understanding where I become more irritable, I'm veering from that like day-to-day mental health to maybe an illness, um, which, you know, physical health is mental health. I mean, that happens with my body as well. Like when I start sniffling and coughing, like, okay, like that's where I'm going from physical wellness to like, I haven't, I'm ill. Right. Um, so when I manage my, my, my illnesses, um, and get to that wellness, it's that day-to-day discipline, um, of waking up and not going straight to my phone and really, you know, understanding that, um, phone addiction is real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that affects your mental health. Um, making sure that I, I you know, do my yoga and my meditation and mindfulness practices. Um, and then, like I said, leaning on my support system, letting them tell me maybe when I'm veering from that state of health and wellness to illness. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much again for being so authentic and vulnerable and breaking that down in the way that, that you view it for yourself. I think that's really, really important. I mean, it's, it's you showing us that you can be even with a diagnosis, uh, a mental health diagnosis or disorder and being on medication, you can still be very high functioning. Oh yeah. Like people, like I need people to hear that. Like, like you're listening to Maya talk right now. And like, <laughs> she's on the very high, continu- high end continuum of high functioning person, like, and she still has a diagnosis, you know, and she separates mental health from her mental um, disorder diagnosis, mental illness. And like, there's a continuum across the board. I mean, that's so important to, to, cause I think people say like, oh damn, if I get a diagnosis or, or I'm recommended to take medicine, that's a death sentence. Like I'm done now. I can't lie and say that there wasn't a point in my time or, or in my life where I thought that, like, I was so against medication. I'm like, I don't want to affect my brain and I don't want to become dependent on it. And I mean, I get allergies and I need my Zyrtec. Like I can't focus on my day if I'm sniffling and all these things, like, (laughs) why was that so different for me in my head? Um, And it's just the acceptance of, my body can't do it. So why don't I just help my body out a little bit? Um, it doesn't have absolutely doesn't have to be absolutely. I mean, I think us be, I think what it is, is the stigma, you know, the stigma like, Oh, I'm weak. If I can't, you know, be in touch with my emotions, my psychology, um, the way I think and feel and behave that like somehow I'm weak when we don't say if we fall down and break our leg, we were weak. (laughs) And I think one thing about that, that I've been pondering (laughs) recently is the stigma around the word weak as well. Mm -hmm. If if there's a strength, there's weaknesses and that's okay. I mean, I, when I was a volleyball player, like one of my weaknesses was I was really short, but I flipped that into an advantage, right? If you can be real with yourself about where your weaknesses are, it really highlights your strengths. And you can say, okay, my brain can't regulate, you know, my, my serotonin the way that I wish it would, but, you know, maybe I, it it plays in a different advantage, right? It, I can, I can really 
I can really flip this and, and own it. I, it doesn't have to be something I'm ashamed of my weaknesses. And, um, I think that is the conversation that has to be had is so what you're weak in that area. We can't all be perfect. We can all be good at everything. And what so, are you going to do about it? Like you said, is it a mindset shift? Is it working to make it, you know, feel like less of a weakness and actually a strength or you pivot or you adapt. I mean, I think that goes back to the earlier piece of this conversation about um, the way there's a culture shift happening about how we talk about that, that the older generation coaches um, potentially don't, aren't, aren't as connected and can work to be more connected with the Gen Z and younger around um, the way that the younger generations are like talking more openly about it. And then for them to say, I, I, I can't show up to practice the way I want to coach. I'm going to do the best I can because I'm having a mental health challenge today. Like for the coach to be, be able to embrace that conversation exactly. um, and not see them as weak, you know, mm-hmm. and judge it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I think about as a captain on both of my teams, right. Wh- how I would have reframed that conversation and maybe mm-hmm. in the context of what we just said. So one of my strengths was I was really great at bringing the best out of my teammates on and off the court, right? So had I felt comfortable going to my coach and saying, I need to take a timeout right now for myself and just like not participate. However, what I can do is I can take this time to like talk to the freshmen and really come together and teach them, you know, how to be a captain, right? Like I can do something else. I just can't do what I've been doing Mm. and saying, you know, I, I can, I can still add value. I'm not a weak point, a hundred percent, a weak point to, to be attacked. And, and if that is the conversation that's happening, it, we could function more as a living like almost ecosystem, right? Uh-huh. Each uh-huh. team can really adapt and, and be symbiotic, but playing this mold of someone who's emotionless and has no weaknesses is not sustainable. And we're seeing the effects of that firsthand. Um, and it's scary. It's really scary. Yes, we are. Thank you for so, you know, eloquently dis- just kind of describing that dynamic. I think that what you're also talking about is the ways our roles can shift on a team you know, um, day to day, week to week, game to game, the role that we play, no matter if we're starting, um, traveling or not, there's a value that you bring to that moment. And just being able to train your brain to recognize what that is at any given time, and that it's not less valuable than anything else. Um, And so I think that's a great example of using your strength and and area of confidence in that moment. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And and one thing I would say on that note, and to kind of go back to the question about the coaches, I've been very lucky to have some pretty phenomenal coaches who were great people and made it a point to teach us life lessons. Mm. I think that is something that comes with coaching, right? Um, is, Is bringing out in each of the players what their other strengths are and saying, okay, like, my, my walk-ons, right? Okay. Maybe you're not starting, but like, what do you bring to the table and get really good at that? And then continuously find your strengths within that to keep, to keep adding. And you can work on your, your, your reps and keep going hard in that area, but always put your personal touch on it. 
right? Always, always put your flair um, and, and the value that you see within yourself that you can contribute to others. Um, and, and I think that's the key is, you know, you do have something there. Just, just find it again um, and, and keep going from there. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think what you're talking about is one of the major roles of a coach is like that of someone who develops the human, um, develops the skills they need to express themselves, to show up, to value every aspect of themselves. That's huge. Because that then, as you know, carries over into life, maybe when the sport is not a part of your life anymore. And like, you get to do stuff like, like create um, all of these companies that you have and apps and like be an entrepreneur and like own it. So I think it's, it's just wonderful. I have one last question for you. Absolutely. If someone could have said something or done something for you back before you attempted suicide, maybe if, if attempting suicide was at, at number 10, Mm-hmm. And someone was able to like talk to you or be with you, show up for you at maybe a six or a seven. Looking back, what, what would you have liked that to be? It's a really good question. Mm. That is a really good question. If someone could have said something to me. Or shown you something or showed up in a certain way or. Yeah, just was with you somehow. It's so interesting. I mean, it it took me a while to understand that in my head there are there are two voices, right? Like there when you're thinking, like you're saying you're asking a question and you're answering it. So like there are two narrators in there, right? (laughs) The only thing that would have helped is that other voice seeing value in the other voice if that Mm. makes sense break that down break that down say more yeah um the 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 me that was saying well what am i what am i even good at because i remember i couldn't even breathe right my my strength coach and my athletic trainer were like, I, I was literally doing breathing exercises to do diaphragmatic breathing. And mm-hmm. I felt like I, I'm not even good at that. Like, what can I do? And that first voice is asking, what can I even do? And that other voice was answering nothing. Like mm. you can do anything. Um, and I had supportive people and amazing teammates who saw I was struggling and like, brought over gifts and said, I'm here for you, but it doesn't, it didn't matter those people, unfortunately. Like I loved them. And at the end of the day, what saved my life was the thought of my brother and my siblings, right? Like I can't leave them. Like that's messed up. Um, and you know, unfortunately I hadn't trained that other voice to support me. It, It didn't, it wasn't able to see value anymore because I couldn't do anything right. Mm. Um, so that's a hard question. And it's also a really sad answer, I'm sure, because at the end of the day, if you can't fight it in yourself and you also like can't rely on anyone else to get it out of you, then where are we? Where do we go from there? Um, but 
I think that's why we need, we need people to talk about this, <laughs> right? To say, hey, there are two voices in there um, and you gotta let the stronger one win and you gotta start asking the right questions and answering with things that give you value. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if that will help people through this, um, but maybe it's, it's shifting the question of what you're asking um, to like, how can I keep going and, and what value can I find, right? There's value in there. What value can you find within yourself, even though you can't see it? Um, and we have to share those questions with each other. So I don't know if that helps anyone, but no, I'm, uh, I'm sure it helps me. It helps anyone. I, I think it's going to help anyone because someone can relate to some aspect of it, especially because of who you have become and are becoming in spite of that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe even as a result of that experience. Um, and so it's inspiring. It's, it's, I love how you, again, were vulnerable, authentic and struggling with the answer. I mean, it's your answer and it is what it is. Um, I think that um, the cool thing is, is that there's, there are professionals out there now who can help with the mental training of choosing positivity. Cause that's a mental skill to choose positivity over and over again. Even when you, pardon my French, I was gonna go there, I'm not gonna say it. Even if you effing don't feel like that. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely. Still, and, 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 you're, and even that voice saying, you ain't worth it. Like to counter it and say, I'm choosing positivity right now, even if I don't feel it, even if no one around me is enforcing it, even if it's not, in my bones right now. I, I have no choice. Yeah. Yeah. I have to choose it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the and practice think, of that, right, Maya? Like that, that's a practice and a, and a training and something that doesn't happen overnight, but it's but it's available and your brain wants to be optimized. So please do so. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's something that is so opposite of athletic culture, at least when I was going through it. I mean, it's, it was negative reinforcement and punishment based. And that is the cultural shift we need to change. It is so toxic um, and it doesn't even support behavior change research. I mean, positive reinforcement is what the behavior, you know, behaviors publish, right? <laughs> I mean, there's so much research behind that. And um, that's the practice that we're used to. And I have, you know, my best friend, she was a cheerleader at the University of Louisville. Um, she is the voice in my head sometimes. She's all about positivity and positive psychology. And that is a practice. And it took me a long time to unlearn the negative mm -hmm. um, and relearn the positive. Um, and that's something that needs to be taught and needs to be a part of our culture from very early on. Um, and, and it's going to take some time. Yes. Yes. Well, we're all doing our part. I mean, you're making a significant impact in this not just or simply by what you're doing, but who you are and how you show up. So I appreciate you. I appreciate sharing the space with you. I, I think we could talk for hours. Um, we might just have to kind of like pause this for now and do so, but like, it, it's so valuable. I so appreciate you coming on um, with me and just in sitting and I told you it was just going to be a conversation. So here, here it was. So I just appreciate it and value um, you more than you know. So thank you so much. Thank you. I always tell my teammates, I'm like, 
my team members, I'm sensitive, don't make me cry. <laughs> I'm an empath. <laughs> I really appreciate your time and your questions. And I, I'll come back anytime and, and chat and uh, anything I can do to help. I know a lot of people are struggling right now and you know, it, it, it might just take one conversation to, to spark something in someone's mind to keep going and, and to, to release that guilt. Um, but I, I'm here. I'm here for, for anybody, uh, you included. So thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. One of my favorite things about our sports entrepreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. When we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsypreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.